What's up, guys? Welcome back to Sit Down with Sit podcast. This is episode number 32. Our guest today is a small business development specialist and the founder of the Entrepreneur Cafe, who brings his two decades of experience implementing entrepreneurial-based strategies to help startup scale. He's an author of The Entrepreneurial Spirit Lives, a 2016 Amazon top read, and Bridging the Entrepreneurial Divide. He also served as adjunct professor of entrepreneurship, most recently new media entrepreneurship at Loyola University in Chicago. Without further ado, it's an honor for me to have Mr. Kamana Gray uh, on today's episode. Hi, Kamana. How are you doing, man? Sure. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to see you again. Same here. Thanks so much. So, so why don't we start uh, by you telling our audience a little bit about, your, about yourself, a little bit about your background? Uh, absolutely. So again, the, the, my, my journey through entrepreneurship said has been one that has kind of taken place over the last 20 years and it's been, uh, it's been super fun, but my background, I've moved around a lot to work, but my background starts in Chicago. And if you've been to Chicago, uh, Chicago is one of the most amazing cities on the planet. I absolutely love it. Um, it's a city of blue collar workers and just a lot of great things. But it's also a city that has come over the years with a lot of challenges from education to housing. And so my start really does, you know, my origin kind of starts in the city of Chicago, kind of navigating uh, access to education, navigating opportunity. And so my love for entrepreneurship really began uh, in, a, in a city at a time when entrepreneurship was still looked at kind of as this um, thing that only crazy people did like Bill Gates or, or Michael Dell or some of the other where it just seemed like, ah, oh, that's good for them. But why would anybody forsake a fantastic job opportunity to go out on their own and to risk it from that perspective? And so I think that's one of the things, that's kind of how things started. I would actually do, I'm trying to remember all the fun things. I would work at fairs as a kid, um, design and develop things from my own background and perspective that were from a small business stand. It was just anything. I just loved, there was something that fascinated me, I think, about the idea of someone that was willing to risk it all on a dream. If you just think about that for a second, I think for me, that was one of the big things. And what I did is I kind of took that with me throughout uh, my young life. Um, I remember going to a lot of business-related events in as a kid, and you get these looks from adults like, are you supposed to be in here? Like, if this is, you know, this is a business event. This isn't, you know, anything youth related. And so I remember putting myself in places that helped to further along my interest and my desire in small business. And I think that's one of the things that I remember the most. And when I got, when I came time for me to make that switch to college, I kind of took a lot of those entrepreneurial ideas with me even though that wasn't my first choice so so let me ask you now you were very successful in the corporate world and then you you know switched from a corporate world you said you wanted to follow the entrepreneurial path right. what clicked in your mind like what was that moment what was the moment to be precise that said you know what this corporate world is not for me i'm, I'm okay to take risk and do something else with me Wow. Okay. So that's a, that's a, that's a little bit later, but an excellent question. Sid. I think because I had, you know, and just kind of backtracking, I mentioned that I had taken all this youth 
entrepreneurship related things, just this love and this interest to college. But my first uh, foray or the path I thought I was going into, Sid, was mechanical engineering. I'd gone to, gotten into this amazing school in U of I uh, that's known for engineering, kind of like a mm -hmm. Purdue or some of the other schools. And so that was my, my goal. I loved automotives and I thought that that, that that would be the path that I would go down. But business came so naturally. When I think back at that time, so business came so naturally for me that it was kind of like waking up or, or walking or breathing. And so I naturally took that path. But I remember when I finished college, I was talking to a, a, a family member mentor and they said, Kavanaugh, everything you're talking about sounds fantastic. You have all these great ideas, but I'm going to challenge you to do something. And they said, try working for someone for a while. And I was like, that's preposterous. I don't want to do this. I have all this talent and stuff I want to do. And they, what they said made sense. They said, you're going to learn so much more about yourself. You're going to learn about what you like in the corporate world or the, or the business world. You're going to learn what you don't like. And you'll take all of that with you into whatever it is that you do next. And so I remember uh, graduating from, from college with this degree in finance and marketing and small business management. And I remember taking that into publication, worked for this amazing publication. Uh, one of the magazines that they covered, Sid, was uh, something called Ad Age. And so this awesome experience looking at brands from around the globe and how they function and operated and built. And then I worked in tech in Washington, D.C. at the very early dot-com phase. And so, and then lastly, in energy, at a time when energy was changing really mm -hmm. rapidly. And I remember very clearly, said I happened to be out in Washington, D.C. at a time when some of the craziest things in the country happened. And so my wife and I just got married. We moved out there. And I think I might have been out there since six months, maybe. And we had... Uh, the 9-11 attacks. And I remember going, right. man, that's odd. And then you had these other things that transpired in that short period of time. And what I remember thinking is this, this feeling that a lot of us have, hey, tomorrow's not promised. It doesn't matter what it is. That there is, tomorrow is not promised. And I remember that, that nudge or that feeling pushing me forward to start moving in that direction. And so I would say early, about early 2000, or so is when I felt the seed being planted, but the company wouldn't start, um, really wouldn't be active, moving, operating for another two years. Great. Uh, uh, come on, I want to talk about the Entrepreneur Cafe, uh, which is the company you founded. Um, I have a question now. That's a very intriguing and interesting name, the Entrepreneur Cafe, right? right. So <laughs> what was like the vision for you? Like, first of all, what year did you start this company? And second, what vision you had in mind when you said, I want to uh, open this company and specifically choose this name? So what was your, give me a little bit uh, of your kind of insight into your company. Well, that's, I appreciate that question, Sid. So going back to the DC uh, time period, again, you're starting to get that nudge. And I think for a lot of entrepreneurs trying to do anything, that nudge starts at that very small whisper that we, you know, you, you hear and you push down and it keeps rising and you push down. And so around 2004 or so, what my days looked like, I was working in energy, one of the most complicated but exciting uh, industries that I've worked in. And what was happening, I would get up at four or five o'clock in the morning every day because I kept trying to push that, 
that voice down and said, hey, now's the time to start. And, but I couldn't. And so I'd be getting up four or five o'clock every morning. I would fire up the coffee pot. I would literally be working at my desk that overlooked um, going from Arlington, Virginia into DC. You could see the Pentagon. And I would work for about two hours. And I would work until it was time for my young son to get up and I would get him together. And I would drop him off at childcare. I would go to work, work a full day. I would come home. And before the evening was over with, I would still put in a couple of hours in the evening. And what happened was this was kind of, it became, as I'm working towards this goal that's in my mind, it became this daily ritual of coffee and convergence of business that took place every morning and every evening. And so the name came about because I was drinking all this coffee syrup and I was trying to find a way that best expressed how business and coffee convert or how it came about for me. And it really, these ideas just kind of develop over a pot of coffee. And most people will think that there's an actual physical cafe uh, in terms of a coffee shop. No, for me, it was really just this conversion of my ideas, early morning work hours, late work hours, and, and entrepreneurship taking shape. And if you even look at our logo, our logo is a coffee mug that's made out of two letters of the company's name. And so you'll see an E and then you'll see a C that makes up the handle for the company. And it just kind of, it, it seemed to fit. So that's when you think about the name, the Entrepreneur Cafe, it's kind of this proverbial place of, of just where ideas and dreams converge uh, towards, towards getting some work done uh, on my behalf for my dreams. And that's how it started. Perfect. I love that story. Uh, before I talk about like the kind of work that the kind of strategies you implement in this uh, in your company, I have a question for you now. Two parts. Number one is, what does an entrepreneur mean to you? Like, because entrepreneurship, everyone has their own definition, right? Absolutely. What does that mean to you? And second, are all startups entrepreneurial venture? Oh wow. Okay, that's a, that's a good one. So now what I'm going to do is so I'm going to lean back on my academic teaching, teaching days. I remember having this very cookie cutter definition that I would use from semester to semester just to help individuals wrap their minds around, hey, what does this discipline mean? What does it look like? And I think it would read something like an entrepreneur takes ideas and transform it was something so basic because i was trying to get people to wrap their heads around that i think when we talk about entrepreneurship these days Sid, the definition has blurred the lines of what that looks like has blurred so mm -hmm. much that you can't physically take it and put it into one box because back when i was very much interested in it as a child only the tech heads were the ones really busting through with a Microsoft or a Dell or whatever it might've been to get into that space. And then over the years, it became mom and pop shop kinds of situations. And we've seen it morph into every possible version of entrepreneurship that you can think of. We have work on demand, we have uh, the gig economy. It has just taken so many different variations that you know, I think it's really just about these days, if you have an idea that you believe in, I think entrepreneurship is about seeing that idea through mm -hmm. to fruition, whatever that may be. 
And, and, and again, to kind of now put it in a defined box, I think these days it's hard. Okay. And then, and then second part question, are all startups, uh, the reason I asked that question is because, yeah. you know, a startup can be a product development, can be services offerings. Yeah. But as you said, an entrepreneurship is an idea, right? So, right. So, 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 so do you think that somehow it kind of correlates or like what, what, do you, what would you say is a difference between a startup and an entrepreneurship? Hmm. So I think entrepreneurship now, I think you can be an entrepreneur. I'm trying to make sure I frame this right. You can be an entrepreneur and still not necessarily, you can have an entrepreneurial spirit. I think a lot of people have an entrepreneurial spirit from what I've seen over the last 20 years, but everyone is not in a startup mindset, if that makes any sense. Right. So you can have an entrepreneurial spirit. Hey, I've always wanted to do something on my own, but I don't know what avenue it takes. Am I more of a franchise person? Am I just a, can I buy a, a, a company that's looking to sell? You know, do I have something? A lot of small businesses start off as hobbies. And so as you go through life, you see someone that took this, ho this hobby that they were very passionate about and they turned it into over time a business. I think the startup environment from what mm -hmm. I've seen and working in it is, you know, again, you can be entrepreneurial and still not be in the startup mindset. Because the startup mindset I've seen said, and you've seen this too, being in New York, you might have a window of three months to turn a thought into something real. Mm -hmm. And if you can't do that in that time frame, you know, then it's on to the next. And so I think the startup mindset is a little bit more, it's not, think it is, it's a lot more fast paced. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a lot more skin in the game there's a there can be a lot more i think there's a lot more commitment in it there's a lot more sacrifice whereas you can be an entrepreneur wanting to start a business and it still not be as deep hectic or require as much as a startup might and so if i had to kind of make the variance of those two things i think that mm -hmm. would be a good definition uh that i would give it perfect um you also talked about i want to talk about your book the entrepreneurial spirit lives which is the 25 tales to help entrepreneurs start, grow, and succeed in small business. Uh, tell us some more about this book and what can people uh, expect from this book? So Sid, I think, um, so one of the things I've noticed, with, you know, just kind of looking over career and things, I noticed that entrepreneurship, me trying to develop a company that would benefit other entrepreneurs, which is really how the Entrepreneur Cafe got started. It has taken me in avenues of directions that I really didn't see coming. And what I mean by that is that it took me into a nonprofit space that I didn't see happening. It's taken me into education. Lastly, it's taken me into local government and helping small businesses navigate. And so I've seen it, so many different variations of it. But one of the things that, that really is the origin for the book was that I remember teaching when I first started teaching. So I was kind of doing this dual role. Someone had said, hey, Kavanaugh, I think you are, uh, you would be a great individual for this. And I mm -hmm. come from a teaching household and said, I would never teach. There's no way I'm ever going to do that. I've watched my mom teach and it is just a tough business. Um, but they planted the seed and I knew that I had something to offer. And so, but one of the things I noticed in academia, which was new to me, was that you can go through and, and, and 
kind of curate all this text and all this information, and it still might not serve the student that you are trying to serve. And what I found was that up until that point, I had been writing on my own. So I've been writing articles for publication. I've been taking feedback in terms of questions. Hey, Entrepreneur Cafe, I have this issue. I have this problem. And when I saw that some of the academic textbooks weren't necessarily meeting the need, you know, think about the size of these tech, textbooks, hundreds of dollars, and then you might get through half of the text maybe. And then of that half of the text that you get through, how much is actually absorbed and retained? And so this really came about of how do we meet entrepreneurial education needs in a different way? Meaning mm -hmm. that if, see, if your time is being pulled uh, and from a bunch of different medias, which is kind of where we are nowadays, you know, do we have the same amount of time to absorb a phone book style textbook? And so this kind of started with, okay, hey, there's a real problem. How do I help advance entrepreneurial education? How do I do it in a different way? And so when we started this book, start when I started kind of working on this book, Sid, I think I had maybe 50 chapters in it, which is why the mm -hmm. title has the name 25 in there. And then I went through and, and went, okay, wait a minute, I thought you're trying to do something different. Are you going to require people to sit down and trudge through 50 chapters to get to what they need, if they need it right now? And so we immediately went out and took out 25 chapters, 25 of the best chapters and said, okay, here we go. If I'm doing this right, then whether you are someone that just has a, a basic idea for a business, whether you are taking a small business management course, whatever it might may be, you should be able to work through these very uh, core entrepreneurial chapters in a manner that you can get through at your local coffee house, sitting on your couch. And by the time you finish, you may not know it or not, but you have actually worked through an entire business plan and you may not even know it. And so that was the whole process and the whole idea was how do we take some of the headache and the learning curve out of growing a business and the book just seemed to really fit that that gap at that time. So Kamana, I want to ask you, based on your entrepreneurial experience, academic experience, teaching entrepreneurship, like, what do you think is, if there was to be just one quality, one entre an entrepreneur must possess to be <laughs> successful, what would that be? Oh, wow. Okay. So I could run through, so I used to keep, the, I used to share these a lot. And there is a, there used to be a, a kind of a, a write-up I would do, Sid, which was really important because an entrepreneur, if you went through some of the greatest entrepreneurs in, in history, from, from Ford to Musk these days, we just look, look at them, they each have this one thing um, that you could pull out. And, and the list is yay long. You know, you have to have, uh, vision, uh, you have to have a great idea. I think entrepreneurship really, uh, if I had to pull out that one thing, you've got to be able to persevere. I okay. think you've got to be able to look past the, the right now. Sometimes the right now or the, what you're looking to get to is really, it might be someone they tell you is two years away. It might be five years away. It might be seven years away. Um, I think the perseverance part, the ability to stick to something, um, to me, that's what stands out. And, and as we're talking, what jumps out right now is there's, a, there's an amazing quote by Ben Franklin, a magazine that no longer exists, interviewed him in like 
some ridiculous time period. It was like 1898. This magazine had been around forever. And they asked him, they asked him, hey, Mr. Franklin, you've had successes across so many different areas from publishing to inventing to just thought leadership. What is it that you do better than anyone else? And one of the things I thought was interesting was, was his response. He said, said that most times in a given day, we're given 24 hours to do with whatever it is we want to do. He says, if you were to quantify that 24 hours, you would find out that most people are doing something throughout that time. He said, the difference between me and anyone else is my ability to persevere and to focus that energy into doing one thing while most people use that 24 hours across a multitude of things. He said that they would persevere and focus in doing that one thing. He said that they would be successful. And I remember reading that, that mm -hmm. was actually a huge turning point in some of the things I was doing. A, a few quotes have hit me as hard as that one because it says, hey, you got to focus and you got to persevere. So I think perseverance is just a huge, a huge, huge part of entrepreneurship. Love that answer. Let's uh, talk us through about Entrepreneur Cafe strategies and implementations. So for example, do you have any steps that you guys follow in your company so for example, if an entrepreneur or a startup company approaches you, break us down, break it down for us and our audience. How do you strategize and what steps do you take? Okay, so I think that's a, a, another great question. Entrepreneurship can, can almost feel, if you're not careful, Sid, it, it's been done, so many different variations of it has been done, especially from a consulting and a coaching side. And one of the things that you learn and kind of going through the process that I found is that you cannot, you can no longer, you couldn't do it before the pandemic, long before the pandemic, and you definitely can't do it now. You can't take entrepreneurship and homogeneously rake everyone into one basket and say, mm -hmm. hey, we have, we have the solution for you. And so one of the things that I saw way back was that you have to look at entrepreneurship across like this timeline that we've discussed. And it's, it's been, everyone might be at a different point in their entrepreneurial journey. And so we approach it as you could be the first entrepreneur that we speak to or the 50th. Each entrepreneurial individual is unique in their own approach. They could even have some of the same ideas and their mm -hmm. approach is going to be different than someone else. So I think it's first understanding the uniqueness of each entrepreneur and mm -hmm. also understanding that if you are in business, first and foremost, whether you know it or not, you have a brand and how do we best look at helping that brand to tell their own unique story. And so that's, I think that for us, that's a starting point. We never want to lump anyone together. So we would see the uniqueness in each entrepreneur and in, in each mm -hmm. entrepreneur. The other part of that equation, Sid, I think is that even though you can have the same business idea or something closely related, every entrepreneur is going to have a different and unique problem. And so we approach it as saying, okay, hey, I might've worked with three, four other tech companies prior to talking to you, but your particular situation, hey, let's find your, what is your unique problem? And what I found, Sid, is that it could be, again, you're gonna have a bunch of different answers to that, but if you were to take all those answers, you'd find that even though they're different, they're gonna fall into one of four categories. And it's helping the entrepreneurs understand what is your biggest obstacle. So is management and management processes 
processes, your biggest, one of your biggest obstacles. Mm -hmm. You can have the best idea in the world. Today, you're not going to get funded if you do not have a team around you. They're not funding lone wolf entrepreneurs anymore. They want to know that there's someone that's going to be the face of the company. They want to know that someone is overseeing financials. They want to know that someone's overseeing tech. They want to know that there's someone that is uh, capable of handling uh, marketing. And so first and foremost, is management management processes one of your issues? We help you to identify that. The second thing is just sorry. really understanding. The, I'm sorry. I just want, yeah, I just want to ask on that. So, so as you said, like it's very important for them to build a team. You know, do you guys kind of spearhead that also? And like, you know, what we will hold your hand, walk you through this path, and help you build a team as well. Absolutely. So again, and I'm glad you paused on that. So let's just take the management and management processes issue. So a conversation I was having yesterday centered mm -hmm. around, do you have a database system in place? And so if you think about a database system, uh, you can think from everything that's as high up as Sugar CRM and Salesforce, which is really out of the reach for most entrepreneurs to something mm -hmm. uh, like a HubSpot that we talked about yesterday, which is a little bit more grassroots for entrepreneurs. And so if it is an issue of processes or systems, Okay, what okay. system are we trying to develop? And so we can pinpoint that and really figure out, hey, here's a turnkey or here's something else that might help best fit that. If it's from a managerial perspective, we can help entrepreneurs figure out where their, their biggest gaping management hole is. And a lot of entrepreneurs don't have the resources starting out to really pour into hiring. And so we can help them leverage even, one, one identify what the problems are in their management, team and then identify within their own network individuals that might be able to fit into advisory role positions based on those needs without really having a huge out-of-pocket cost and that's just you know outside of nominal consulting fees to the entrepreneur cafe it's really every every company is going to be so different so i'm glad you asked that because it helps us to kind of focus in on one of those main core issues which is management or management processes okay so now we go back to so once that is done what's the next step so, so the next step and, it, and again it's moving them along figuring out where they start in this process and then moving them along and so it could be we, you come across a lot of entrepreneurs who have an idea but haven't mm -hmm. solidified it enough for them to take the next big leap and so we may point them to we have two titles on amazon right now mm -hmm. the entrepreneurial spirit lives and a smaller text uh, digital text called bridging the entrepreneurial divide and so that may be for a lot of entrepreneurs, that might be the best first start, just really trying to get them to think through some of their ideas in a manner that works on their own terms. And so I think that's one of the, that might be a, an early start. Then if they're beyond that, hey, I've just spent the last year working through some of these ideas and things, I think I'm ready for the next step. For us, we can get them into a, um, a, a small business or a startup consultation. And it's really, it really falls into said two hours of really looking at critical small business planning core topics that help them to not waste a lot of time and not waste a lot of money. So you'll know going into even the business planning phase, hey, this is a big glaring, uh, a big glaring opportunity. We had a, um, I got reached out to from someone that was, whose funding fell through for a media a media mm -hmm. venture. And again, we were talking through some of those issues. And one of the issues that surfaced was based on something I'd already seen before. 
the gentleman was looking to get funding in a Chicago market that is known for not having a strong financial or capital infusion infrastructure. It's not like New York and it's not like a California. And mm -hmm. so there's this huge vacuum. And so it was trying to figure out, okay, that's a financial or access to capital issue. And so one of the things we were trying to do was work through, okay, what are the other options based on what it is you're trying to do? And so for us, if we, we try to move them along at their own pace. Let's say they get past the consultation phase, then we could talk about uh, kind of an hourly rate that fits where they are. So if they need our company for two hours a month, we're, we're there for you. If it's a little bit more complex, they might need you for four hours or more, then we have a way to help them meet those needs um, at a price point that is manageable, but allows them to really only access the expertise that they need at the time that they need it. And so if you think about just the very basic um, access to entrepreneurship, uh, education, uh, we've done trainings in the past, mm -hmm. the consultations, and then the actual coaching sessions go up from there. So is it like a, is it like a contract-based system per se? Like, is there a minimum commitment to, to kind of sign on Entrepreneur Cafe also? Or is it like depends once again on each business? It's really dependent, but what we try to, uh, from experience, what we found is that you're going to get the best amount of value from that at a two-hour minimum. And so that's kind of where things start for us. You can work through some, Corey, let's say you're having this month, the month of February, you've seen some challenges that you'd really like to dial into. That two-hour minimum uh, time commitment really does allow us, from experience, allows us to delve into that issue and really work at how do we provide solutions for that problem. So is that the two hour minimum, the initial consultation? Or? No, no, no. The, the two hour minimum is a, is a, it's a small, it's like an hour and a half. And it's a, it's in a, 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 a price point of something like $125. And so it's is it real weekly, bi-weekly, monthly? How? No, no, no. So the, the consultation is kind of a one-off. Hey, I have, I've been kicking around these ideas for the past year. I'm really looking to start to put some of this in motion, but I'm concerned that I don't want to get, I don't want to say taken advantage of, but I just don't want to waste a lot of time mm -hmm. in this venture. And so this consultation is one of the light touch, but move you forward type of approaches because we do cover core management, core marketing, core financial and access to resource issues in a way that really points them in the direction, whether they work with us again or not, it really points them in that direction of saving time, saving money and moving their ideas forward. And so that's kind of that first that first consultation approach is kind of that light touch, kind of mm -hmm. move things forward. As you get into the more of the hourly, two hour, four hours and beyond, that's when you kind of dive into more, uh, more, more of the serious issues related to the business. Perfect. You know, I was blown away by the stats of the startup industry. Nine out of 10 startups fail. I mean, back in the day when I met you in San Francisco, <laughs> I was like, I mean, blown away by the creative, minds of these people uh, why do you think is why do you think the failure rate is so high in a startup industry is it the idea is it the not everything can be funded right as you said you can have an idea but it's not scalable so so give us chime us on this with your like you know experience and what do you think being in the industry you know for so long so I think one, the, the success factor of entrepreneurship, like, you, like from what you see is a, is, is a numbers game too. Um, 
there's a lot of things. So I don't know if you've seen, have you seen the, this show set called American Greed? It, it's an yes. amazing. Yes. I, I'm, I'm I love that show. I'm about yeah. to say, I'm, okay, I, I thought it was just me. I'm absolutely fascinated by, uh, by the show, but it really points out some, some key success and failure issues in entrepreneurship. So you kind of know that startup growth and success is a numbers game. The guys who fund these amazing companies like your Ubers and everything else, mm-hmm. they know that it's a numbers game. They know that they can bet heavy on that type of unicorn, knowing that the other, like you said, nine are going to, to, to fail. And so one of the things that you've seen is, even from coming from the Midwest, is there access to capital? You can have the best idea on the planet, but if you don't have access to the funds that can help you take the next level, then there's a problem. And if you can't tap into another market, again, we had an entrepreneur here that had to move to Silicon Valley to get this amazing idea funded because there was a vacuum in the Midwest in terms of financing. I think the other aspect of the success, uh, Sid, is that sometimes sometimes you have, um, as we've seen in the show, you just have entrepreneurs whose ideas aren't very realistic or the manner in which they go about them are a little bit too grandiose. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that can be a part of it. Sometimes you have to have uh, people in your corner, which is kind of going back to the whole management piece. There has to be people in your corner that are telling you, hey, um, that might not be the best thing to do this month. And so mm-hmm. you see that a lot popping up. The other thing too is, and this kind of, and this is something that's hit me really hard uh, recently said, we talk about what's that defining thing between success and failure. When we talk about that, I've learned over the last two years, I really, we all have learned that when you start looking at the rate at which entrepreneurs closed over the pandemic and you start to delve into the, you know, the breakout from a uh, ethnic perspective, you find that a lot of startups and a lot of small businesses, they start off weaker. And that could be everywhere from, did they get the proper mentoring when they, before they even started? Did they have people in their corner that mentored them and pointed them in the right direction? Did they have the same access to funding if the baseline amount of funding for a startup, you know, just before they even get to a round is something like $125,000 and then you have uh, disadvantaged groups only accessing $25,000, there's a big discrepancy. And then on you go. Are you able to get your product out to customers in a cost-effective manner? When you work through all those things, one of the things I learned that really helped me see this splitting difference between success and failure is that a lot of businesses said will start off weaker. Mm-hmm. When the storm comes, their house is, is made out of straw. And so that storm will shake that house down to the foundation. And when the, when the storm is passed, it is harder for them to recover if they can recover. And, and, and you just, you see where others kind of maybe weather the storm, mm-hmm. the businesses that started off weaker in the first place are now the ones that are kind of been left in the rubble. And so I think those are some very clear distinctions of drawing that line between success and failure in small business. I love that answer. A couple of things before we wrap this up is, uh, what advice would you give to someone who is trying to become an entrepreneur? I mean, you've touched a lot of uh, things in detail, but once again, for an upcoming person who wants to pa- follow this path, what advice would you give him or her? Wow. Well, okay. That's a, 
man, you know, I'm starting to get up in, in, in the in the years there, see it. And so I have to, you know, it, it have to reach back for for some of these things. But what I'll do is I'll tie that into kind of our past crossing years ago. I, I always tell people, um, if you can find people that want to see you win in this journey of life and vice versa, meaning that you want to see them win and they want to see you win, and then hold on to them. Hold on to people that genuinely want to see good things happen for you and for you to be successful. And so when I think about that, that's one thing uh, that comes to mind. Um, I'm trying to think another thing, and, and that's just really, and what you'll find is that sure. here we are with five, six years later from yeah. when we first met, having this conversation. Yeah. And so that's what I mean. I, I think oftentimes I don't look at my own personal journey as anything that I've done personally. I think every, every step along the way, I just had a lot of good favor. Someone has stepped in to kind of help me take the next level. And I've tried to do the same thing. And so that's super important to me. Uh, the other thing I was trying to, I'm really just trying to think off the top of my head. Uh, there are things I think on the success side too, I'm, I'm kind of reaching for, there are things I think that people don't understand that um, uh, let's, we're talking success, uh, find people that want to see you win. Um, I would say lean into change. <laughs> if there's, I'm really kind of reaching for the, look at the last two years. People are having to do things now, Sid, that they never thought that they would do. They're, they move to places that they never thought that they would move to. They're in roles or having life experiences that they never thought that they would have because change came so abruptly and so, you know, and so quickly. And so what I've learned over the last six months of selling a house and buying a house and sending a kid to college and moving and getting set up, I just had to lean into change. I think that's a, a successful, one of those success factor things I think is super important. And lastly, Sid, I think is, man, if there's something that you are even having the inkling to do, and you really feel it from a very, uh, a, a very deep place, I think you should do it. I, I think you should do it. You're going to have a lot of things, whether it be people you know or circumstances in life that will look to pull you away from that thing that you're supposed to be doing. But it really is, if you don't do that one thing, you know, it might not ever get done. And I think about kind of my own experiences and where life has taken me. If I didn't answer a yes in some of those early situations, I don't know, you know, one, some of those things would have never gotten done, but it wouldn't put me where I am now, which is in a role to continue to help people all these years later. And so that's what I think about when I think about kind of some, some, some parting thoughts for success. I love those. Last question before we uh, wrap this up. What separates you or the Entrepreneur Cafe from the rest of the entrepreneurial coaching field? Uh, that's a, another excellent question. You, I think entrepreneurs have so many options these days, Sid, for assistance or for help. And so that's one of the first things that comes to mind is that you can now go anywhere. You can sit in your own home and get the resources that you need to some degree. You can access resources in your community. I think one of the things that really separates us is the fact that I'm a lifelong entrepreneur, but then both in practice and in our company has merged those two things together beautifully, meaning that I didn't just stay in academia where I had a chance to really 
learn new things and test new things. But over the past 20 years, you can physically, you know, look and see the work and how that work has in, impacted everything from the nonprofit space and helping homeless families to local government and helping small businesses navigate the pandemic or, you know, or just the startup phase itself. And so I think that's the first thing is that we have 20 years of experience in this space. I think the other thing is that we have learned to look at entrepreneurship, I think just a little differently than what you would expect. And so, you know, being, having all these experiences from the academic, I can tell you that if you, you can't look at entrepreneurship and not look at the management side without looking at the impact that your management decisions have on your marketing. And you can't look at your marketing without looking at the impact that it has on your financials because they're all interrelated. And I think that's one of the things that often gets missed. We like to silo small business and put management over here and marketing here and financial somewhere in the corner. But all those things are interwoven. And I think we just have a different perspective of how to actually look at the problems that small businesses are facing, but then come to the table with real solutions for how to address management issues, how to help small businesses get a greater return on marketing, uh, mm -hmm. which is ever changing, how to access the best, not just any access to capital, but there are so many avenues today, how to access the best possible avenue for funding for your business, and then resources. Sometimes we, the resources that we need can be right across the street, Said If we don't know that they're there, we can't tap into them and they don't help us. Great. So, so if people want to reach out to you, um, or Entrepreneur Cafe, where can they find you? And we will actually put this in the description of the video as well. Absolutely. And I'll get you any other information you need in, uh, in the future. But I think the best way, I'm having a lot of conversations now. Uh, I mentioned to you in the past six months, we've moved to the fastest growing uh, U.S. city in, in Austin, Texas, and it's been great. We're currently preparing for South by Southwest and to kind of participate in that. But uh, I would have uh, any of your listeners, Sid, reach me uh, at C. Gray at eCafe LLC. Uh, feel free to reach me personally, 312-545-1014, and I'll get you other resources and information. But I love having the dialogue um, around small business. I love the opportunity to talk about potential partnerships, or really at this stage, just share what we know or have learned from our two decades in the startup space. Wow. I mean... I had a blast on this, you know, it's, I mean, as I, I've always said, you're one of the smartest guys I've, I have met, you know, and uh, there is so much one can learn from you. So uh, I personally want to thank you for taking the time to, you know, make this happen finally. And, yeah. uh, and if there is something we can do for you, please don't hesitate to reach out to us and we will uh, spread the word out as well from our end. Absolutely. Sid, I appreciate you so much. And I'm, I thank you for your patience. And I'm just glad we've been able to connect. Thank you so much, Kamana. You have a good day. Bye-bye. You too, sir. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.